Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. In this week's episode, we are going to be taking a look at Scholars of the South Tigris. And in the discussion topic, we are actually going to be talking about recommending games. And we're not specifically diving into games we're recommending to you. We are going to be talking about uh, how we go about recommending games. Do we recommend games? Do we not recommend games? Because it is Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, Natasha, but I tend to get a lot of texts. I tend to get a lot of people coming up to me and be like, hey, what game should I get? Oh, yeah. I do get that a lot. And it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a complicated question, at least from my perspective. We're gonna, oh, I, so we're I gonna think be- it's easy, and I'm really good at it. I'll tell you what I do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Jeez. And there you go. Her second best feature, her humility. But it is Christmas time. We talked a lot about how you're not a big fan of like giving gifts and that sort of thing. The expectation I, of giving a gift, right? Yeah, I don't like the pressure of kind of come up with gifts. And yeah, I like giving gifts spontaneously, and I love finding gifts for people that I know they'll enjoy. But like, I find it really stressful when I don't know what somebody wants and I, I don't like that I have to give them a gift. I hate all that. So how do you navigate the Christmas season? Like, do you just buy gifts for, let's say, your husband and your two kids and then that's it? Call it good? I pretty much I buy gifts for our parents as well. And um, I have stopped getting gifts. I, I have asked... I don't don't give gifts with my sister because she lives out of the state, so we don't usually don't see each other. If she is in town, I do give gifts to my nieces and nephews, but I don't ship them gifts if they don't come into town or anything, uh, and yep. vice versa. My my husband's sister and her husband they don't have any kids, and we spend the holidays with them. Um, and I we have like mixed gifts, and I said, hey, do you want to skip gifts from now on? And they were like, sure, that's fine. And then like they give me like a really small gift. And then the next year, they give me like a really small gift. And then like the next year, it gets really a lot bigger. And now all of a sudden, we're doing gifts again. I'm like, it's I the Christmas season creeping up on people. That's what yes. it is. It's the Christmas. It's the it's the joy of giving people gifts. I, I have a memory of when I was a kid and I love giving gifts. And as much as I joke around about how, yeah, my love language is receiving gifts, like shower me with presents, but realistically i enjoy getting gifts that i know people will like i I remember as a kid uh my dad really wanted the specific camera and i had somehow finagled it where i was able to like i worked a little extra you know i was able to pull some you know talk to my brother and we just and my my mom and we kind of worked together to get him this thing and when he opened it like this the sheer amount of joy on his face is just like it's one of those core memories. If you watch Inside Out, you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> core memory. But like, I still remember that thing. And I, I enjoy watching the kids get up, open gifts, and just the, the joy and the like excitement and everything. Like, I just, it's a, it's a fantastic time, at least for me. I, I enjoy that quite a bit. And then one of the things I love doing after Christmas morning when everyone's like tearing paper, which by the way, stresses me out. I should probably bring that up when people are like ripping paper and it's just getting going everywhere. I'm just like, there's a trash bag, just throw in the trash bag. Like, I don't need this house to be a mess. <laughs> <laughs> if you knew me, you knew you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, that's that's Bob. But the other thing I love doing is I love making like a uh, big breakfast for everybody. 
And I just like, whatever you want. You want pancakes? Cool. You want French toast? Cool. You want scrambled eggs? Okay. It's on the menu. Bacon, sausage, you name it. Whatever you guys want, I'll make. And it's just this gigantic smorgasbord of food. And I (laughs) love doing it for my family. I love doing that. Oh, fun. Yeah. We, it's funny you talk about Nixon gifts uh, with typically um, I, we spend Christmas Eve with my parents and my brother and he has, he has one kid and we used to all do gifts. My dad finally was just like, we're done doing this. He's like, I'm not going to spend $20 on a gift to, for you. And then you spend $20 on a gift for me. I'll just keep the 20. You keep the 20. We buy what we want. And I was like, exactly. me and your dad, we could be in the same family. Love it. Yeah. We are on the same page. We are adults. Save the money. Buy yourself something nice that you actually want. It it just like, uh, yeah, it cracks me up. It just, yeah. Have you seen Arthur Christmas? Have you seen Arthur Christmas at all? It's a Christmas cartoon mm-hmm. movie. And, okay. So in Arthur Christmas, there's a scene where Santa Claus gets done doing all his deliveries or whatever. And he, you know, he's hanging out with Mrs. Claus and Mrs. Claus seems is wrapping gifts and she hands it to him and says, here you go. And, he's, and then he looks at him. He's like, oh, thank you. And then hands one back to her. Like, here's the gift for you. And she opens it and she's like, oh, that's so nice of you. Even though like she wrapped it. <laughs> like, and for, for whatever reason, that, that always makes me think of my dad when he's like, we're done doing this. So now we just do gifts for the kids. You know, like I, I, I shop for my brother's kid. They shop for our kids. So we just at that point, it's just kid exchange. I love that. Kids are fun. Like they, there's always things they don't get to buy what they want. They don't have money. Buying kids presents is fun. I'm all about that, but not adults. Yeah. It stresses you out a little too much. I don't like the pressure. We've done gifts for my parents. Like what we'll do like a, like a mug with the, with the kids pictures on it or a calendar, you know, something a little bit more personal. Yeah. So that sometimes we do that. I I like that. I like I like modest gifts, small gifts, practical gifts. I like things that are useful. I don't like collecting extra stuff, so I don't like just gift giving for the sake of gift giving. Sure. You know, I like my gifts to, I want if I'm going to give somebody a gift, I want it to be uh, useful or meaningful in some way. And I, I don't, uh, I don't like, like having a monetary budget, you know, like th- you spend this much money. I think that's too much pressure. So like, I'm really wild about gifts. Some year I'll, I'll, I'll see something and I really want to give it to somebody and it'll be very expensive. And then the next year it's like a really small, modest gift. You know, I, I, I don't like that they need like having a budget. I just don't like any of that stuff. I like it to just be thoughtful and whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I get it. And honestly, I think there's a lot of people who feel the same way as you. All that to say in the discussion topic, we're going to talk about recommending board games. Before we get into that, we are going to review some games. So let's talk about some games. All right, let's talk Scholars of the South Tigris. Let's. I was really excited about this game. You know I'm a Shem Phillips and Sam McDonald fan. Yep. Those are the designers. This is published by Garfield Games. The art is by D'Amico. Um, so, of course, it, it looks amazing. I like, I like it already. I'm already in. In this game, you are trying to translate scrolls into Arabic. That's the main way to get victory points. You're going to collect, you know, if you translate them into Arabic, you get to keep them. They'll give you victory points for different conditions throughout the game. So on your turn, you can either work or rest. If you work, there is one of four actions you can do. You can recruit, which means that you can either hire, employ, or 
disp- dispatch a worker. If you dispatch them, you just get this uh the top corner benefit. It's a smaller benefit. You've seen it in a lot of their games. Like it's a corner benefit. You just get that. Or you can employ them into the guilds. Now they're translators. They'll be able to help you transcribe scribes. You'll put your marker on it. It'll indicate that you've hired them. But anybody can use them to translate these these scrolls. The other thing you can do is travel. Uh, when you travel, you move just around this little square is what it is. You you move the number of dice pips that you've placed on your spot there. And then you get to take a benefit. Like you either collect some things or you're moving these scrolls into the house of wisdom so then they're available to, to translate the other thing you can do is you can translate a scroll in order to do that you have to use the translators right at the bottom so you've got to have translators out that can speak multiple languages to translate it to arabic uh, you pay them in gold and if somebody else employs the translator then you pay them a coin in order to use them uh, once you you know translate the scroll you get it that's victory points at the end of the game the fourth thing you can do is you can research. So these are the, the the different types of sciences. You're going to go up these tracks. Every other track is an instant benefit. And then the other ones are income. So then uh, when you do the, when you rest, you take income and then you get to collect whatever, however you are high up on each one of these tracks. What makes this game interesting is the use of the die and the workers. So you start off the game with a lot of white dice and maybe a handful of workers, maybe just one or two. And then you're going to collect and um, maybe more dice throughout the game and more workers throughout the game. And when you take your turn, whenever you work, one of these four actions that you're going to do, you're going to take a card. You're going to put one or two dice on the card. And the dice is the, the value that you have is adding the dice up. So if I put a four and a five on there, I've got a nine dice. If it's white, if they're both white, it's a white nine. Now, if one of the dice is a color, then the, the nine is whatever color that dice is. So if you've got a red and a white, now you've got a red nine. But if you've got a blue and a red, now you've got a nine purple, which is kind of better than a prime because it's a secondary color. So you can, you can use your dice to make different color combinations. And then you can use the workers to turn the dice into certain colors. So if you take a die and a matching worker, you are taking that die and making it a six. Whatever it is, it just becomes a six. So you've got a white die, a white worker. Now you've got a, a white six. If you have a you know, red one and a red worker, now it's a red six. So if you have a yellow, uh, sorry, if you have a white six and a red six, now you have a 12 red. So you add them up and then whatever the the highest that whatever the color is that's what it is white is not a color the red is the color it doesn't make pink it's only the three primary colors and the three secondary colors so now you've got a red 12 now if you had a now if you can take another worker and put a blue worker on that white six now you've got a purple 12 so you can do all kinds of different things with the combinations of dice and workers and then the different spots so you when you recruit a person the the color of the dice does not matter so you so it doesn't matter at all you don't need to use your workers you can use your white dice on those colors the travel track you're just going to go the number of spaces of pips that you have so you might you could might only want to travel one space so then you could just use your low numbers it doesn't matter you don't need a worker but if your color matches a spot you go over as you're traveling you could get to collect that item that you're travel that you're going over which is another little benefit and then uh, the guilds the the 
the scrolls, where the scrolls are, those are all the secondary colors, orange, purple, green. So you have to have an orange, purple, green dice in order to translate those scrolls. If you don't have an orange, purple, or green dice, you can, of course, do the two secondary colors. So you could do a yellow and a red to make orange. Or if you do two white, two white dice, but then add those workers on them to make them a yellow and a red. So now you've got orange. So that matters for that. And then, of course, the research track each of those research, there's six of them, so each of them correspond with a color. You have to, you can only move up the track that you have the color of the dice. So it's really interesting the way that you use these dice and these workers to manipulate and to get the colors that you want. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes it absolutely matters. Sometimes the number doesn't matter. So you just need to get the color of dice in there. So there's a lot of interesting things that you're manipulating. And I even told you about the rest period. So each of the cards that you play, there are six of them total, and you start off by having five spots. You eventually get a sixth spot if you unlock this special ability, special thing that you get, uh, if you unlock by achieving these three goals that you have. But you can't always play all six cards. You might only have four dice, so you might only play maybe one or four cards at most in the beginning of the game. So as you play these cards, it doesn't really matter when you're playing them what card you play. Um, but then when you rest, you're going to go from left to right. And each of the action spots is in a certain spot. Like the recruit action is always the first one. So you don't have to do the recruit first. But but whatever card you use to, to do the recruit is going to be the first one you activate in the rest. So when you rest, you go from left to right. And you activate and get an income on each of those cards that you played. So you want to make sure that you're playing the cards of the things that you want to activate for the income especially if you're going up those income tracks, they get better and better. So you definitely want to play those cards. So there's a lot of pre-planning in this game. doesn't matter when you play it, what card it is, but it matters when you rest, how when you played it. And you might end up not getting through all of the cards or ending sooner so you don't get to do all the ones you want. So it's really interesting. And there's a lot of planning because you need, you want to activate those in the right order. And then of course, there's a lot of planning throughout the game. You need to make sure you've got the resources. You need to do the things you want to do. There's just there's a lot going on here. I'll pause there, Bob, so you can talk. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot in this game. So of all the, the Shem Phillips um, McDonald games that have come out, this is clearly the most in-depth, strategic, I guess, um, Euro-y kind of game. And there's a lot going on in the game. There's only four actions, so that's simple. But... but- there's but. a lot of things that matter and that you have to pay attention to. And then, of course, the I think the dice and the workers and the color theory of it is, is it's quite a bit to teach. It's not difficult to once you once it clicks, it clicks, you know, but it's definitely a heavier, even though it's simpler and that there's only four actions. That's a lot simpler than a lot of his games, but it's definitely not simpler. It is. No, it is. There's a, so many things you're thinking about. I do have one quick question before. Uh, we continue a little bit. Um, are you familiar with color theory and the color wheel? Yeah. You were going into this game. Yeah, I know how to make colors, primary colors, and make okay. secondary colors, that part of it. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting piece, right, is the com- combining of colors to create other colors. So you got, you know, your three primary colors, and then from those primary colors, you're doing doing secondary colors. And I think the rule book actually includes like a color wheel. So it gives you an idea of how those colors interact with each other. Interestingly enough, for me, I didn't have a problem with it. But for those who don't know, um, I was in the paint industry for 14 years. 
So I I was very familiar with color and how it affects different things. So something like this, it didn't necessarily bug me because I already kind of knew. But I find it interesting that that's almost like, I don't want to say advantage because I don't think it's necessarily a big advantage because you do, you can look in that, but it's one less thing that I have to think about. And in this game, while the actions are very simplistic, like you recruit or dismiss a worker, you travel around a track, you transcribe a scroll, you know, all these things, they're not, the actions themselves aren't overly difficult or complex. It's all the other things you're thinking about. You're thinking about all these little pieces. A prime example is I'm going to go around the track and I'm going to take one of these scrolls and I'm going to move it to where you can scribe the scroll. Okay. The problem is in the, on the area of the board in which I'm moving around the track, it doesn't tell me the prerequisite of what I need to do to transfer that scroll. It's actually on the other side of the board. So I found myself sometimes like, okay, I'm going to transcribe the, I'm going to move around this track and I, I get ready to do it. I was like, oh, wait, there's a cost and I don't have that right now. So now I had to pivot and do something else. So you're constantly monitoring the board. It, okay, so I need to make sure I have four coins to do this. Okay, if I move so many spaces, I'm going to do this. I need to make sure I'm keeping track of the colors. And then with those action cards, that forward thinking of which ones do I want to activate? Do I want to activate this track or this track? And you have to factor that into your decisions as you're playing your cards and combining those different colors. You and I had a conversation when we were playing this about people with color sensitivity, people who may be colorblind, that sort of thing. And as a person who's not colorblind, like I don't know what colors are more difficult to distinguish. And I'm curious if this game has that issue. And I know you were very much on the side of they've had to have play tested it a ton with, you know, people in the community that have color blindness or have difficulty differentiating colors. I am curious if that's a thing in this game. I I don't think it is because because the, they have so the the pri- the secondary colors are translucent. So I know like if you're colorblind like green and blue look the same. Well the green mm-hmm. green dyes the green dice are translucent with black pips and the blue dice are solid with white pips. And then the the iconography shows the difference between the primary and secondary dice. So I could see it maybe green and purple maybe could be similar, but I don't know. I'm not colorblind either. But I think I think that they've done a good job of distinguishing between the different colors. You know, there's the iconography on the thing. So there's not like a point where you're like, is this blue or is this green? You know, I th- think that's the most common one that people struggle with. But I don't know either. I'm not colorblind, so I, I don't know, actually know for sure. Yeah, that's just one more thing that they have to factor into their play as they're playing. They have to take a look at what each die represents. It's another thing on top of the many things you're thinking about with one action. It's just an additional thing stacked onto the stack of things you're thinking about. That's this game. If you if you like games where you are constantly thinking about stuff and it's like uh, it's just these layers that stack on top of each other, this is the game. Yeah. Because one action is not just one action. It, it's not that simple. Okay, I need to move this scroll over here and I need to make sure it sits on this spot so I can make sure I can transcribe it later. For the most part, everything is good. The iconography is good. There's so many little things to monitor. There is one thing in particular that I really struggled with and I and that is 
the translation piece. When you hire translators and you bring them to the bottom row, there's going to be a black border with white words, and those words are what that particular translator, the languages that they know. So, for example, it could say Chinese Persian. Okay. Well, then you, what you have to do is you have to do a conversion of this scroll. Maybe it's Chinese. And now what you're trying to do is convert it to Arabic. So maybe you have to go Chinese to Persian, Persian to Sanskrit, Sanskrit to Arabic, just depending on which ones are down there. Now, that said, at the time when I was playing, I was sitting on the side of the table where they were facing me. And I was just like, where are they? Oh, okay, hold on. Are there? There's that. There's that. And I, it took a while to figure out if I could do it on that board, you know? It yeah, just, there's it, a lot there of manipulation. A, there, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just, they show you a tier, but at the end of the day, I didn't care. I just needed to get there, you know? And if it just, the way it's set up, I think if they could have done it where, you know, there's five slots and then, you know, this one, you can see the slots. So you, then it's a little bit easier just to glance at the cards and know, okay, I know, I know this one will go from spot two to spot four. Now I need to get spot five. Does that make sense? Yeah, they could have aligned them in a, a little bit visually easier way to tell because you have to read all of the cards okay if you're you're trying to translate a scroll that's in persian you have to okay is there persian to arabic no but there's persian to hebrew okay is there anybody that has hebrew to arabic okay hold on and then you have to find that one so yes that's it's it's a lot of work this game yeah. is a lot of work to play yeah you're, you're gonna walk away you're gonna be tired you're gonna have your brain is gonna be sore yeah, there's no Hebrew to Arabic. Okay, there is. Oh, there is a scholar I can hire. So let me hire. Oh, wait, I don't have a pip value that's going to be high enough. Okay, now I have a pip value that's high enough. I have a worker. I can turn it into a six. Sweet. I'm going to hire this person. Oh, wait, the only spot available costs four coins for me to put it. I don't have four coins. Oh, man, now where do I get money at? Oh, I have to go do this other thing. That's the way your brain is thinking constantly through this game. Mm -hmm. Yes. So if you like that, you will love this game. It is crunchy. I do think it's fiddly. There's a lot of little things that you're constantly, I don't know, manipulating, dealing with, that sort of thing. Yes. In the rest, too, with the cards coming out, there's, you know, you're yep. moving things around. There's, yeah, this game is a lot of work. I think you could summarize it by saying this is a lot of work. It's a lot of work to learn. It's a lot of work to play. It's a lot of work to to keep up with it, to like mentally like make sure you're doing everything right and following all the rules. It, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a heavy lift. I want to talk about the end game condition real quick because they, they tried to get cute with it. And I just, mm, I think they could have streamed that, streamlined that a little bit so it doesn't bog down your income turn. You have a stack of scrolls. And in those scrolls are basically interim scoring cards, essentially. Let's just call them that. And they're filtered throughout. When you rest, you take a card from the bottom and then it replaces a card in that. Okay, I guess that's fine. But as you're moving around the track and you pull one up, you take a card and you take it from the top of the deck and you replace it. So you're you're going through the deck both from the top and from the bottom. And while that sounds interesting and kind of cool, I think at the end of the day, all it does is extend your income turn when it doesn't need to. I agree with that. I think... At minimum, it should have just been the same. Just grab it from the top. Why make it complicated? And two, yeah, you are you're you're adding an extra step at the income. It, it's just a little in, too cute. Doing income multiple times will, or doing income more often will 
accelerate the game. Which is fine. I'm fine with that being a thing. A lot of games do that. The more you're resting or doing these things, the ex- it shortens the game. But do I really need to draw from the bottom of the deck? What information am I hiding on the bottom that's not represented on the top? Nothing. It oh just, it, you know, it, it just, it, it was, they were trying to get, like I said, they were just trying to, it felt like they're, they're trying to get a little too cute with that. And they didn't need to. The game has enough going on and it's crunchy enough and in depth enough that it doesn't need a just fiddly pull a card from the bottom. Why? Can't I just pull a card from the top? I don't know the information anyway. If the top card was already face up, then yeah, sure, I can understand that. You know, you need a little bit of that randomness to know what's which card you're replacing. It kind of bugged me. It was weird. It was weird. <laughs> I'm like, why does it? Why? Like, why? Why you got? What do we got to do with this? But and then what setting up? You have to you know make piles and blah blah blah. And make you sure do, one card you card here. You strategically stack the deck in a way with these cards that come out for mid game scoring and triggers the end of the game when those come up. But yeah, why go from top to bottom? Because at the end, in the games we've played, it's always like one or two cards are left, so you know it's coming anyways. You you know what it kind of reminded me of a little bit? You know, in Alhambra, you have your three scoring cards. So you take the deck and you basically break it up into three three piles, and then you shuffle the first one in the first pile, blah, 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 and Mm -hmm. work your way down. It's almost the exact same thing. It's a timing mechanism, Mm -hmm. but it does like you're just pulling from the top. I don't bottom. know. It just it was weird. It's but that's fine. It you know it is what it is. That this game, there's enough to think about. The last thing I need to do is have to worry about my income income turn pulling a card from the bottom. Yeah, it's a little it's a little random. Look at trying you. to get cute fun. with it, Shem. Trying to get cute with it. That's cool. That's cool. I, I see you. I see you. Let's get into some ratings. What do you what are you gonna rate this game? I'm coming in at a nine. I absolutely love this game. I love how thinky and crunchy it is. It's it's my type of crunch that I like and heaviness that I like. I think it's because I'm so familiar with the mechanics. Like even though this game is very different, it it plays very differently. It's got my same favorite artist in it. It's got the same characters that I love. The iconography is all the same. I recognize it. It's a lot of new iconography. Certainly, I'm learning that. You know, we're adding every single game we play. We're adding a new iconography, but it just it. I don't know. I just like these games a lot. And and I knew going into it, I was going to like it. So, you know, that's my bias. I do, I do like it a lot. Um, yeah, it's, it's, this is my type of game. It's up there for me. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah, this is a. if there was a Natasha game, this would be that game for sure. Yeah, my style of heavy game. Yeah, indeed. For me, it's interesting how this game, how you see the progressions of all his games. I'm a little bummed this game didn't have rations in it. Not sure why he decided to get rid of the rations. But you can kind of just see the progression. So in Wayfarers, they introduce influence tokens. And that trend, that continues on with this game. So you can see the progression through the course of games. If you took all of you know, McDonald's and, Sh- and Phillips' work and put them together, you can see the progression from Raiders all the way through up until this. And I think that's a really cool thing to be able to see the designer's progression on these games one thing i never didn't mention at all sorry bob i need to talk about this because that's I totally fine no don't, didn't yeah, mention you know, it. it's just, a big you know. part of the game mm-hmm. is the dice mm-hmm. that you get you're drawing from a bag at the end of every rest you're drawing new dice so it's a it's a bag builder as well so you got these you know a lot of white dice that you're starting off with and throughout the game you're collecting other types of dice and you're also trying to get rid of the white dice because you don't want all these white dice at the end of the game they'll give you some negative points 
So it's also a bag battler. So like, yeah, exactly like what you said. Wayfair has introduced the dice. Cool. We've got dice again, but now it's dice in a bag builder. We've we still got the workers, but they, we use them differently. So you're right. It is progressing. You know, they take those kind of similar mechanics and step it, do them a different way. It, it It is interesting. And I really enjoy the fact that they do these types of things, that they're they're per constantly progressing and pushing the line forward on, on some of the things they can do. This game is, hmm, I enjoyed this game. I'm coming in at an eight. I don't know if I want to say this game's too much for me because I don't think it is. It was, it, it tickled my brain. There was a lot of little things I'm trying to manage. The things that frustrated me about the managing was they could have done a few things to make it slightly more streamlined in my brain. But how do you do that? For example, I talked about moving around the track, traveling, grabbing a scroll, transferring it over to the other side of the board, knowing the cost is on that side and not this side. It's a little thing, but if I can if I can streamline the things I need to look at for the decisions I need to make, I think it would be a little bit easier for me. Yeah, it just it's one of those things that er, these little these little tiny things added up to make it just a little more frustrating than I wanted it to be. The big thing for me is the names on the people the the scholars, the, the languages, languages that they yeah, the languages that they speak. That for me was tough. And I can't even imagine sitting on the opposite side of the table and seeing it upside down because you're constantly looking to make sure you can make that connection. And it it's ever changing, which is cool. You know, you can place them at different spots, getting different benefits, which means that they're going to stay out there longer. If you you can be the first one to get Persian, you know, the end, you know, with Persian on the table and then people are going to be putting gold on it, which is going to be activating your character is going to be giving you some money all cool. I love all that, but it's just a little difficult to read some of that stuff. I think overall the concept it is, it's you do so much and there's so much you're thinking about and it's such a tight game resource wise, but you, it almost like you do just so little sometimes like you do all these things and you're like, yes. And I moved up one track, one spot, (laughs) you know, I use two workers. I use two dice. I made it, I made it an eight. And I did all that. I used a ton of resources. I moved up one track, one space. And it, that, that it, to me is like, oh, I, w- I want to move up. I want to move up the track three spaces or I want to move it up to maybe I can move to. But it cost me two gold. Where can I find gold on this board? I think that's definitely his style where it, yes. they tend to be lower points. You know, you really yeah. got to go after those one, two, three points because they will matter. At the end, you're fighting over the guilds for one, two or three points. And that matters. And we had a tight game. The last one we played was tight. We were all within points of each other. Yeah, we really were. I I ended up giving the winner. I gave I, I my very last turn. I transcribed a scroll, giving the winning player three points. But transcribing that scroll gave me eight. That player ended up winning by like two points. Mm-hmm. So you gave them the win, but at the same time, I came in. I think I tied for second. I think Chris and I tied. Yeah. So we, but we were in second by two points. Maybe yeah. one. It might have been one. It, so that's the thing is, you know, you're, yes, I gave that person points. The the area control thing on each of those towers, normally I don't mind area control. In this game, it bugged me. Maybe it's because you specifically stole them from me time and time again. And maybe that was the reason why is because you always got set up. Everyone transcribed a scroll, so it always gave you an opportunity 
to put a new scroll on the very top spot, which is the most lucrative spot. And you were a, you always had the resources available when the spot opened up and you always kicked me out of it. So it started getting frustrating because I never got to that spot because you were smart about it and you waited until there was a second scroll. And just, st- mm. dang you, Natasha. I think that's what makes this game so good. I don't like area control and I didn't mind those. Guilds. Which is surprising. And so it doesn't, surprising. It doesn't bother me in Wayfarers. I feel like in Wayfarers, it's a really small part of the game. You get three points. No big deal. In this game, controlling those guilds is a lot harder. You're not going to even yeah. get your your resources in each one of those. Um, and there's also a really good uh, loser prize that if you lose, if you're in those guilds and you lose, so there's an incentive. Like You might want to just, just get one of your influence in each of those just so you get the loser's prize, which is a really good way to do it because it's still something. Um, but it's, it's hard to get your, your influence up there. So yeah, I liked it cause it was a really subtle part of the game. Which is somewhat surprising to me that you liked the area control aspect. I think you liked it because you booted me every single freaking time. Probably. Ugh, it, was, it was so frustrating. That's they just set like. you up. I don't like getting, I don't like working to getting, <sighs> getting, um, the most in the one spot and then getting booted right away. I don't like that feeling either. No, it's the worst. And normally in an area control game going into it, I know, but. The problem is you put in so much work to get onto that spot and you take it and you're like, yes. And then somebody takes a scroll and you're like, Natasha has, she has enough money and she has enough dice. She's going to do this. Don't do that. And then you do it and you take the spot. And that's the game, right? So it is what it is. It doesn't mean I can't be frustrated about it. (laughs) And I got set up one time that you did it for me. Aside from that, it was always... (laughs) It felt like it was always you claiming those spots. <sighs> there is a little bit too okay. where like okay. you might want to okay. transla- transcribe a scroll and the person in front of you does it right in front of you and now you can't do that. Like So you set yourself yeah. up to get all the money and all the gold. It takes a long time. But in the same sense, like it takes a long time and you need, you need a lot in order to be able to do it. So you can tell if somebody else is going for it. You know, you don't know if they're going for the same one you are, but you can get an idea because it is so difficult and that can be, that can be difficult. But I think, I think that comes with more repeated plays. I don't think this is a game you're going to want to get out and play casually. Like this is a game no. that if you, if you decide that you want to play this game, you're going to need to invest a, quite a few games into it to get good at it. You know, it's not yeah. one of those games that you're going to play once a year and be done with it. You know, you just, it's too much. I, in fact, I don't, I don't recommend this game for those that don't like heavy games. If you don't like heavy games, I don't recommend this game at all. Stay away from it. Agreed. Um, and I, also, even if you do like heavy games, I still think that if you're a fan of these style games, I don't know that this is the the first game I would jump in. Even if even if you love heavy games, I might not jump into this game first. You know, if you if you don't know that you like the these style of games. Honestly, if you like heavier games, I think Paladins is a good intro into their stuff. I think that would be the first step that I would I would tell people is is do paladins. Yeah, it's still paladins is still deep. There's still a lot to it. It's still what I would mm-hmm. consider a heavier euro, you know. So it's not like it's a light game of any sorts, but it's it would be a good introduction to it before you get into the South Tigris. I think the South Tigris is is definitely more complicated than a lot of a lot of other games. It's just got a lot going on. So that's that's who I'd recommend it to. I'd recommend. I think this game, if you like, um, if you like um, Shem Phillips and and Sam McDonald, then yeah, you're gonna probably like this game. If you're not a fan, you're probably not gonna like it. If you like heavier games, 
sure, give it a whirl. If you don't, then stay away. This is definitely not going to be for everybody. It definitely has a lot going on. I think you kind of need a little bit of investment into this series um, before you'll like it. <laughs> From what I've seen, when I, people I played with that aren't big into the series, you know, they're like, oh, it's fine. It's a lot. It's it's a lot of mechanics that don't really come together. For me, I I, I loved it. I don't care. Yeah, instead of being there's a lot that you need to keep track of, it's like, can you imagine what that he's going to do next? How they, they took these things from these other games and implemented it in this game. You can see the progression, the big picture of things. I know. I'm excited for the next game, but I'm going to play this I game. I bet you are. It. I've been... In, I've been playing a lot of Wayfarers lately too, and that game has just grown on me even more and more. Every time I play it, I like it even more. And Paladins as well. So these games are really up there for me. So that is Scholars of the South Tigris. Check it out if it sounds like you'd be interested. Yeah. All right, that's going to wrap up the game we are reviewing this week. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to be discussing how we recommend games. All right, welcome back. In this week's discussion topic, we're going to talk about recommending games to people and how we go about recommending games for people. We're not actually going to give you any sort of recommendation. We're just going to talk about how we let people know what games they should buy when they ask us because we get asked probably a decent amount. What actually kind of sparked this for me is I recently started a new job and they found out that I like board games and I have a board game podcast. Hmm. And... I've had several people come up to me and ask me, hey, what game should I buy my family? Oh, <laughs> and that's I'm like, awesome. Uh, I love these questions. I love it. I, you know, that's the funny thing is I don't. I'm not a fan. I'm, tell, I'm going on record right now to say that I'm just not a fan of people asking me to recommend games to them because there's a certain pressure that I have that it comes with it. And that pressure okay, is... Okay. Okay, here's some advice. I oh got my some God. advice. Yeah, please. First of all, ask them what their favorite game is. Yeah. That'll give yep. you a base. If it's if it's like Uno, Monopoly, then then that that's awesome. That gives you where to start. You know, then you might want to recommend something like Sushi Go, right? Even Ticket to Ride. You know, if they're like Catan, like Ticket to Ride would be the next step. Like something like that. It gives you like a nice where to start phase. And then... What I always do with recommendations is I recommend something small and inexpensive. So there's not a lot of pressure there. Like uh, Sushi Go is a great one to recommend. It's like $12 opposed to like Ticket to Ride. You want to make sure that they really will enjoy Ticket to Ride if they're going to invest like $50 into that game. So there you go. Segment over. Done. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode. Of, no. the It's. I, f- I don't think you're alone in this. Because I, don't think I it's see that this simple. all the time on, on Facebook that people ask for recommendations and holy moly, there are some really bad recommendations on there. Well, what to you makes a bad recommendation? Something that is that is totally out of this person's league. If they're like, like, what should I get my grandma to play? She loves nature and gardening. Root. No. <laughs> don't recommend Root to your grandma. It, oh, just because she likes nature themes. Like, know your audience. And start if if you okay know your audience and then take it down a notch. Yeah. Like for example, I love Cascadia. I think it's a great welcoming game. If I am going to teach somebody to play board games, Cascadia would be a great game I would teach them. But if you're not going to teach them how to play a game, 
Cascadia might be way too difficult to learn for somebody who's not used to learning games. So I take a big into account the learning part. If you're gonna if you're gonna give somebody a Christmas present, Cascadia, and you're gonna open it up with them and teach them how to play, great. But if you're not gonna do that, then that might be way too difficult. And they might not ever play it because they don't get over that hump of learning it. Yeah, I think for me, the thing that I struggle with the most is when somebody I is when I recommend a game to somebody. They go out, they purchase it, they learn the rules, they play it with their family, and they come back to me and say, it, we didn't really like it. It Have makes me that? feel, oh yeah, a couple times. Maybe I'm just not good at recommending games. Before we get into that specific thing, I love how you brought up Facebook and saying, you know, I want a game for my grandma. What game should I get? The trolling on those types of questions are so strong on social media i sometimes read through it just so i can have a laugh because people cannot be serious the person who suggests root when they're when they say my grandma loves woodland creature themes and they're like root there's no there's there cannot be that person cannot be serious i have seen some really bad suggestions and like that not that dramatic but like Games that are way more complex, like when they're like, my, you know, I really, really like Ticket to Ride, Settlers of Catan, and Carcassonne, and then to recommend something super complicated. You know, I see that all the time. Or even like one step up, like don't recommend something unless you know that that it's at their level, like unless you know that they're going to be able to, to play it and learn it. I have a general list of games that I typically recommend to people if they want a recommendation for games. But even that list, as tried and true as it may be, I still get people who don't like certain games. For example, Ticket to Ride. We've beat it to death that we love Ticket to Ride as a introductory game. It's so good as a welcoming game for people to play. I'm batting almost a thousand with that game when people play it. Mm-hmm. But I've had one person come back and say, we hated it. What? And that's the thing is how do you, okay, now what do I recommend? You don't like Ticket to Ride. And I'm not talking about the Johns of the world who hate Ticket to Ride, but will play other games. I'm not referring to them. Yeah, there's plenty of gamers that don't like Ticket to Ride. That's fine. And that and some And gamers outgrow it. They their their taste for games evolves. It changes. It becomes something else. When I I started in the hobby, something like Ticket to Ride was my speed. And then I started getting okay. I started getting familiar with mechanics. I started getting familiar with how certain mechanics interacted with other things. And then I was able to put more and more on my plate. So then I can start. Uh, I can appreciate a game like Scholars of the South Tigris. That game is a lot. If I was a introductory player, there's no way I would play that game and be totally on board with board games. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing is, even the even those like tried and true games that I have, they still miss every now and again, and it makes me feel bad that I've. That's, that's su- weird that somebody would say that to you. You know what I mean? If somebody asked for your recommendations, I would at least lie and be like, "Yeah, it was nice." Yeah, maybe people don't lie to me. Yeah, I don't get that. That's rude. It was the ticket to ride thing. It literally was one person. 
And it, part of it was I inquired. I said, how did you like the game? We oh. didn't like it. We hated it. <sighs> Do they like other games? So that's the thing. They played like Farkle. They've played a handful of other games. So I assumed just based on the games, because I d- did that thing where inevitably somebody goes, Bob, recommend a game. My very first thing I ask people is, well, what games do you have? What games have you played? Because not in the, I've I've really been asking people lately, what's your favorite game of all time? And everyone hesitates. They they have a difficult time putting one game at number one. Mm-hmm. But when you say, okay, what games have you played? What games have you enjoyed? I've played Monopoly. Okay, you're familiar with Monopoly, but it may not necessarily be a game you liked. It's so something, well, we own Ticket to Ride. We've played Pandemic. We've done these different things. Okay, now I'm looking at a different tier of games to recommend. Mm -hmm. What did you like about those games? But then people start getting frustrated because they just want, to them, they think it's a simple question. Well, what game should I buy, Bob? And it's not that simple. It's not as, oh. uh, You can't just blanket recommend a game. Buy the Golden Ticket game. Buy Azul. It, you can't you can't just and then people you start asking people probing questions and they're just like i didn't realize this was going to take 15 minutes for this kid to tell me what kind of game to buy well it depends like <laughs> who are you playing games with are you playing two-player games yep. are you playing family yep. games that you want up to five that matters yeah you know you're playing with a lot of a huge range of ages that matters it all matters you have to ask questions the other th- interesting thing is so let's divert let's divert real quick and talk about the questions we ask when we're inquiring. When somebody asks us about a, about purchasing a game, we have a list of questions. I already talked about what do you have, what have you played, you know, what did you like. You talked about what's your, you know, what are some of your favorite games. So it starts getting starts the conversation rolling. What other mm-hmm. questions do you ask? Who you playing with? Who you playing with? Because that matters. If they're just playing with their partner, it's very different recommendation. I might recommend a two-player game. You know, I might recommend Patchwork or Battle Line, something along those lines. Um, opposed to if they're playing with their family, you know, and if, if, how many kids do they have? How many people do they play with? You know, like if they're going to play up to five, you want to make, make sure that you've got a good five-player game. Then it might be Ticket to Ride. It could be Sheriff of Nottingham. And depending on the age ranges, that's another one. Are you playing with kids? How old are they? That's a huge one. I've you know, often you... found myself asking the question, what the reading level is. Because yeah. at this point, with certain games, especially if you say, yes, I'm playing with my kids and we have these particular games. If it's a game that does not involve uh, trouble, you know, you got the little boggle thing in the center, you're rolling, you're just dice and moving around. Doesn't re- it doesn't require any sort of reading. But then, you know, take a game like Key to the Kingdom, which is a game I like as a as a as a children's game. That game requires reading. And if your child is six and doesn't read well, your child's 10 and doesn't read well, mm-hmm. it that affects whether or not I would suggest a game like that. Absolutely. Another one would be like if they're playing with their friends, you know, if they have people over and they want to play, then I'm going to recommend like a party game that plays to a lot of people. You know, a lot of word games, people tend to really like word games, but I would never recommend word games to people that have family members that aren't strong uh, native English speakers, because a lot of people, even if they speak English, they're not going to do well at games like code names, 
even just one ones that are strongly all about like word meaning things like that they yeah. don't enjoy those as much either so you really need to know who's going to play these games i think that's the biggest thing you know when it comes to cooperative games have you played cooperative games before do you mm-hmm. want do you feel like you want to play a cooperative game typically my go to when somebody asks i need a cooperative game i always tell people forbidden island mm-hmm. it's simple enough it it you know it hits you know four player count okay but the biggest thing is it's also not that long something sure. like pandemic while i think is a much better game i don't think i think length matters with people because if you're mm-hmm. used to playing monopoly playing the monopoly rules incorrectly and playing for six seven hours it's refreshing to play a game for half hour 45 minutes and be done oh absolutely and price too you yep. know like if you're unsure i would go with like a lower level price point that way if they don't like the game it's not as big of a deal and those game right games like sushi go abandon all artichokes um, games like that, those are in a really nice price point. A lot of those mm-hmm. target games are in a nice price point as well. So then, you know, they don't need to love it. If they like it, it's good enough. And it gives them an idea if they like playing a cooperative style game. Yeah. And I think that that one of all the games is going to give you an introductory to the, the genre of cooperative that is the most common, which you take a turn, game takes a turn. You take a turn, game takes a turn. That tends to be the most used mechanic when it comes to cooperative style games. So so asking questions like that. Mm -hmm. Their history of playing games, like a lot of people, especially in Michigan, our area, we play a lot of trick-taking games. So there's a lot of new trick-taking games we can recommend. That's really easy for somebody who's very familiar with it. That's why I like recommending, like asking what their favorite game is, because if they like card games, you know, there's a lot of card games. If they like, trivia games and it might go down a party style game where there's some trivia in it you know if they like monopoly if their favorite part about monopoly is earning money then i might recommend a game where there's money involved you know like more of a euro game something like that an economic game of some kind yeah stock market game you know something there's a lot of simple games like that you know foundations of rome buy this game oh my (laughs) god dollars later would you actually, I don't think you would. I, I already would never know the recommend answer to that, Ro- Foundations in no- Rome to anybody. It is simple enough, really, to be a very good welcoming game, mm-hmm. but just the production adds so much money to it. Yes. So much money to it. You need to take that into consideration. The price of the game. Interestingly enough, the other thing I kind of found myself doing is when I'm at a local store and at this point, let's say Target. If I'm at Target, I'd like to walk through the game section because I like to see what Target is selling. Yeah. And part of that reason is when you recommend a game to people, they have to buy it. Well, where do you buy it from? Mm-hmm. Some people would rather just buy it from a store than let's say online. And mm-hmm. if I recommend a Kickstarter game, I say Tainted Grail is the game you want to play by Awaken Realms. And they go to find it and they can only find it on the Game Steward website because they buy Kickstarters and resell them and it's $400 as opposed to just walking into Target, walking around. You have some kids, maybe you're walking through the Lego aisle and all of a sudden you're like, oh, horrified. I remember Bob recommending that game and it it clicks. So I found myself looking at what is in stock and my local targets to see maybe if that's 
you know, a game I can recommend to people. Mm-hmm. If you have, if you want a game recommendation, you come to me. I'll give you a good one. <laughs> Email Natasha so, at gmail.com. I've gotten good feedback. Maybe people are just nicer to me than they are to you. They, but they're yes. like, oh, we love that game. You know, the funny thing is, you, you out of the two of us, everyone seems to be nicer to you, but I think you're the meaner one out of the two of us. I'm not so mean at all. I've never mm, been mean to anybody. Yeah, whatever. You did your toxic life. traits. I did not. I'm just saying. You told people they're toxic. I was like, I'm not going to tell people that. I didn't tell anybody they're toxic. I told them <laughs> their behaviors are toxic. Yeah. Just stop it. Stop it. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> I understand why people want to get a game recommendation when they when they hear somebody's in the hobby. It may, it makes sense in my mind. If if you're going to do a thing or participate in an activity, you're going to want to talk to a person who's in that activity. If I want to get, you know, golf clubs, I'm not going to ask a non-golfer. I'm going to go to Golf Galaxy and I'm going to talk to a person who golfs and get their opinion on it. But at the end of the day, it's opinions. And it's a lot like this podcast. People have heard us talk about these games and talk about what we specifically like about these games. And for certain people, they're going to resonate more with me or they're going to resonate more with you. Same thing with reviewers like, let's say, The Dice Tower. You, there's games on there that Tom Vassell loves that other people don't. That's why doing like top tens is cool because you can start aligning with some of these people who recommend games. I think the hardest part with people recommending is they take into their own personal opinion. And when you're recommending games, don't recommend games because you like them. You rec- you should recommend games that you think this person is going to like. If if there's a kid at the t- at the table who's like, I really like take that games like i would recommend a, a game that i actually don't like to them because i don't like take that take that games but i know that there are games out there that this kid would like like i'm gonna recommend king of tokyo i don't like that game i think it's very fine it's not my style of game but a lot of people love it and that's what i would recommend so i think you need to not recommend games that you like you need to recommend games that you think they would like you know enough about board games you know what people are saying you can put yourself in their shoes. You know, if I'm going to that pro golfer and they're not going to, I hope they're not recommending the pro golfing set for me as a newbie. Like, you know, I want the entry level clubs. Like what's a good set of clubs for me where I'm not diving in head first, committing like tons of money into something I'm not ready for yet, but what's going to give me my best value? You know what I mean? What's going to be the best clubs for me, not for them. You know, maybe they're taller than me that, you know, they golf differently, whatever. I don't know how golfing works, but you need to think about them and not you. Interestingly enough, I think the better analogy that we should have went with during this conversation, it wasn't necessarily golfing. We should have done bowling. Bowling, if we yeah. Were, if we were going to do it because that you were living in it, right? You yeah. got a ball and then you ended up upgrading to a new thing. And there's that progression diving into a hobby and constantly growing and shifting within that stuff. You didn't recommend the heaviest, but the same ball that you bowl with. It wouldn't make sense for you versus me, you know. So when you right. recommend things, don't recommend games that you, just because you like them, you know. You think about yeah. the other person. You almost got to recommend games that are generally accepted as good games by everybody, and yeah, but cater it to the little bit of details that you can get out of people. For example, mm-hmm. that kid, I like take that. 
okay, what are take that games that are generally accepted as good? King of Tokyo. I like t- King of Tokyo. So for me, I'm like, yeah, I'll recommend King of Tokyo for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should play that game definitely. Yeah, I've recommended King of Tokyo, even though I don't particularly like it. You know, it's still a lot of fun. People like playing the game. It's easy concept, you know, comparable to Yahtzee. The people get that, you know? Yeah. To bring everything back and to close this discussion, to slam this recommendation book closed, if you need a recommendation, email Natasha. Don't email me because I'm going to feel bad if you don't like the game. And Natasha will just be like, man, whatever. They don't like it. No big deal. I am curious, though. (laughs) That's a them problem, not a me problem. If I recommend the game, game. it's because everybody likes it. You don't like it. Oh, my God. Do your own research. Yeah. Quit asking me if you don't like it. Get out of here. I am curious with the listeners. Email us. How do you feel about recommending games? Do you have like a go-to list? Because I I definitely have a, a, a set of games that typically somebody wants something it's this try Mm -hmm. this game before you get too involved in all this other stuff if you have that you have a list i'd love to hear what that list is if you like recommending games if you don't like recommending games shoot us an email reach out to us i'd love to hear about it another thing with recommending games with like uh more seasoned gamers you know that are that haven't played a lot but they're they're totally in they're willing to play anything complex it's like finding games that they like and and ones that have something similar, like, um, you know, obviously, like if they like Wingspan, oh, I'll teach you Earth. That's very similar. You'll catch on very quickly. You'll probably really like it. You know, if you like this style game, well, what did you like about it? The worker placement? Okay, let's play this other worker placement game. It's still rec- nice. To, I know we talked a lot about recommending games. Most of the people who come to me for recommendations are non-board gamers or casual board gamers. So that was kind of what we talked about. But I think the same rules apply even with um, seasoned board gamers that are looking for something new to play. You know, look at what they currently like. What do they like about it? And it's nice to learn a game. And then it's it's nice to, like, learn something similar. You know, you're not going in a totally opposite direction. You've already yep. halfway there with the teach or with the understanding, I guess. All right. That's all I got. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week. Please help us out by giving us a review and liking us on Instagram or Facebook and send us any comments or questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.